Welcome to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Your host, Jesse Jameson, has a real treat for you. You are about to hear a great story. And if Jesse brings his A-game, some good commentary too. And later on, we'll let you know how you can join Jesse as a guest. Now, without further ado, here's Jesse. And welcome to another edition of Jesse Jameson and Friends. Today's friend is John from Westlake Village. And the title of John's story is The Gift That Keeps On Giving. John, thank you for being on Jesse Jameson and Friends. Um, I've wanted you on the show for a long, long time. You're doing some wonderful things, and thus the name of your story is The Gift That Keeps On Giving. Without further ado, the floor is yours. Well, thanks for having me, Jesse. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're not in Texas. I'm sorry for those who are, but I'm glad for those who aren't. Uh, and it's uh, right now uh, beautiful outside here in Southern California where we pay the weather tax. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to do so as long as we possibly can. So, yeah, this all began back in July when I happened to be watching a CNN program where the host was reading a letter from a physician in Phoenix uh, who was talking about he contracted the coronavirus and now he was afraid that he would bring it home to his family. And he was writing, asking um, the host of the show to share with people, look, the, the medical professions, professionals, this is just the work that we do. Our job is to keep people safe, period, end of story. It, it's, it's part of our DNA. We'll do it until the day we die. But we need your help. And that means you've got to help us by wearing a mask and washing your hands and not thinking it's political, uh, keeping your distance so that we can keep showing up for work to help you stay healthy. And, and that's the, the, her reading that letter inspired me to go find the transcript for the interview and identify the physician because I thought it so touched me that I wanted to reach out to the physician to say thank you for telling us how it is for you and, and letting us know what we need to do to be of help so that you can continue to be of help to us. And John, I, let, I'm, John let me pause you there real quick just to give everybody a little background. Um, sure. We're right now in the last part of February. Right. And um, to give people a, a real idea, today is the day that Tiger Woods just got in this car accident and hurt his legs. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if you've heard about it yet, John, but uh, it's been on the TV all day. Yes. And back in July, I live in Phoenix. You're, you're in California. The this person that you're talking about was a nurse or is a nurse here in in Phoenix, Arizona. But back in July, it was really interesting because although I think we had started getting to the point where close to 100,000 people were, were dying, or at least, you know, there were people starting to die, a lot of people in the country still felt that it was a hoax or a joke. Now here we are in February, and we've just hit this horrible milestone where I guess half a million people, 500,000, have now perished. It's really becoming impossible to call it a joke or a hoax or anything like that. And in July, John, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Phoenix was kind of the hot spot of the world, not just the country, but the world back then. Is that, is that, was yeah, that around Phoenix the right time? Yeah, Phoenix in Seattle, if I'm not mistaken, at, at that particular time. And what I said a year ago when people were saying, hey, it's just not real, you know, you're making it a political statement. I'm like, Are you, 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 you must be out of your mind. Look, this is a disaster. This uh, COVID-19, a disaster of epic proportions. 
it's changing everything right before your very eyes so quickly, you can't even really see how fast it's moving and how many changes are being placed into effect right before your very eyes. So don't just look for the good old days just to reappear. And by the way, the good old days weren't that good for everybody as well as it was for the one percenters where it's always beautiful. Uh, so let's recognize that uh, you know things have changed. And, and, and let's also recognize that the people who are on the front lines happen to be, for the most part, uh, millennials, they happen to be female, and they happen to be minorities. They don't have the luxury of working from home like so many of us do. They have to show up for work. And, 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 and as this physician, actually, who, who was writing to uh, the, the host of the show, was saying that this is just how we roll, okay? So please help us, uh, help you, but respect us because, as I say, I'm afraid now that I have the virus, I'm going to bring it home to my family. And, of course, that's the last thing I want to do, but I, it's my responsibility as a medical professional that that's my that's what I do try to keep people as healthy as I possibly can so yeah the the, the timing was very different uh, then than it is now and and I mean you know on on that note it, it's interesting that uh, we look at what's happened and, and we talk about America first for example and and I mean you know I have to say my problem with that as a template is, you know, it, whatever team you're rooting for, Jesse, as soon as your team becomes number one in that league, what happens? You may as well put a, uh, a target on the back of every one of those players because everybody else in the league is coming for you. So that's no different when the country says, well, we're just going to be first and forget everybody else. L let's recognize, folks, that, you know, here's the truth. We're all drinking the same water. We're breathing the same air. And in a minute ago, and a minute from now, we'll be back flying the same airplane. So it really makes sense for someone to remind us we are literally all are in this together. We are joined at the hip, and we need to recognize how we can make this little thing called life a little smoother for everybody, no matter whether or not you're a one percenter, because none of us are going to get out of alive, and we can't take anything with us. So let's uh, see what we can do to make the you know the the, the 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 landscape better when we leave it, as opposed to how we found it. So yeah, that's Amen. how it, it, it all got started, and and basically, Jesse, I decided that uh, what could we do as a firm to, that might be meaningful to these frontline workers, whether they're school teachers or police or medical professionals, I don't care. Uh, I, I said, you know, probably the best gift that I could um, provide is free financial planning services. So uh, typically, I think the national average when a plan is written in the country is about $2,000. And we'll sit with a couple or an individual for 90 minutes uh, and work through at no cost, how much money you're going to need to make work optional on your terms. We can talk about that as an example. And then, you know, what happens in the event, there, uh, one of the breadwinners, typically there's two breadwinners in many households, and you are interdependent upon each other's income, regardless of whether or not you are married. Marriage has nothing to do with it. But you've got four hands keeping up all this stuff and all these people, right, to keep things moving. And then heaven forbid, one goes to heaven. That means you've got only one pair of hands left trying to keep all these things alive and afloat. So we wanted you to look at it from a standpoint of how much life insurance are you going to need so that you know, financially, I can afford to miss the income of the breadwinner who died prematurely, but I have the, I have the money to replace that income. So for example, if there's an $80,000 income that you're accustomed to, 
before that person passes on, we would submit that you want to have a $2 million policy on the life of that other individual. A 4% withdrawal on $2 million is $80,000. Hopefully, your returns are north of 4%, five, six, seven. But now you know, financially, I'm going to produce the same kind of income as that person was going to work to earn so I can miss them, but not miss their money. And, and in, the, the, and piece, in, in yeah. the in the past, it was really easy to always prolong that. We'll do that tomorrow, and then tomorrow never mm-hmm. comes. But when you're dealing with this hideous disease that was killing people and still is killing people left and right, all of a sudden tomorrow is upon us. And yeah. when you're, yeah. when, you're and when you're married to somebody that is a frontline worker, all of a sudden these become very real things to think about, right, John? Well, it becomes real things to live with. I've seen been to too many, you know life celebrations where you get the sense that the spouse is not just missing the other person, but immediately missing their money. And yes, we don't look at this from the standpoint like we should, like we do our car insurance and our homeowner's protection that we can replace stuff with thanks to the insurance, right? Or the cash. But this is this is the only one who's going to make sure this is done are the people who are involved in needing the money of the other person who's the breadwinner. You have to do this yourself. And yeah, to your point, so many times people say, well, you know, we're worth more dead than alive. She has 500,000. I have 500,000. We even make 500,000. Well, let's just use this as an example. Suppose you need a hundred grand and you have a policy for 500 grand. You have two choices. Either you're going to live off the principal or you're going to have to live off the interest. So if you live off the principal, $100,000 a year in five years, how you doing? You're done, it's zero. If you live off the interest, 4% on on 500,000 is what, $20,000 a year? That's what, $1,600 or so on a monthly basis? You you are used to what, 8,500 or so, and now you have to get by on less than $2,000, perhaps for the rest of the life? That's probably not gonna feel too good or work too well. So we like to make sure each breadwinner looks in the mirror because it's their question they have to answer for themselves. If you're not here, what do I need to keep this life going the way it was as if both of us were here? Do I need 100% of your income? Is it 50% of the income? That is my decision to make. And now I need to make sure I have that kind of coverage on you so that I know, as I say, financially, it's a non-event. John, you sound like my insurance agent. So let me ask you this. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's talk about the straw. And people at home are thinking, what the heck does he mean, the straw? I'm talking about the straw that broke the camel's back. You're listening to a CNN interview. And you're listening to this frontline worker, or maybe you're listening to the frontline worker's spouse. I'm not sure. But what made that was the turning point that made you say we're going to do this for folks i assume yes. before i assume before that you were contemplating it thinking about it holding back and then something about this interview that that was the straw that broke the camel's back what in this interview made you decide we're going to green light this idea i i the the the, the way the physician posed wrote the story it was so authentic and genuine he wasn't, you know, telling people what to do. He was saying, this is, this is what I'm doing to try to do for you. And I so respected that, that it became something like I had to wrestle with. It was like, okay, feeding a hospital lunch, maybe that's a good idea. You do that once, then you're done. No, what's the best 
uh, thing that I could possibly provide. And, and that's what we came up with. Well, what we do, what do we do for a living? We help people make sure, like I say, you're going to have enough money. If you live, if you stop working at 65 and you, you know, stick around till age 100, and then we want to know, make sure you have enough money in the event. Someone has the nerve to die. And then we want to get to part three, which is if there are kids in the equation, how can we make sure that the kids graduate and everybody's there is crying, not just because they finished college, but because nobody has any debt, because that's one of the problems here in America. Our educational system is very expensive, and too many people are graduating with $100,000 worth of debt, and it feels like an albatross or even a cross, if you will, that they have to carry for the rest of their lives, and it, it, it impedes their ability to do what it is that they want to do because they're so worried about this debt, they know they're going to spend a lifetime trying to pay off, and it's just not any fun whatsoever. So let's just uh, cut to the chase and make sure you finish, the kids finish without there being any debt for anyone. John, I want to tell you a quick little story. This is a story that you probably know. You probably talk to people about this all the time. But when we grow up, a lot of us, especially if we're not part of that 1%, right? Right. Right. We're, we're, we're taught to save our pennies for a rainy yes. day, for a this or that. But here's the problem with saving. If you save, you're lucky if you get 1% interest in a world where there's 2% inflation every year, right? So technically, if you save your money for 10 years, your money's kind of lo- you're, you're kind of losing money over the course of that time. So what we try to do is we try to get people to think about investing. And if I could go back to when I was 16 and got my first job, John, I swear, I mean this, I, I would have invested every penny because <laughs> I, I'm, a fir- I'm a firm believer that especially with this bull market that we've had over the last, what, 20 or 25 years or so, I'm convinced I, I would be a millionaire twice over already and I'm only 44. What is the power of compound interest to the listener at home that might not really think about things like compound interest and, 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 and investing of dividends and, and what have you. And, and you're describing uh, what sounds to me like a, a Roth IRA uh, type situation, right? Something for somebody's retirement. Um, give, give an idea of how powerful compound interest is. for Sure, sure. And I would say let's not uh, get lost in the weeds in terms of what kind of vehicle it might be. Let's spend more time on what kind of results you're trying to achieve. So typically, Americans, it's about their early to mid 40s where we seem to wake up out of a fog going, oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, I'm 20 years away from retirement. I haven't done a darn thing. I better get started. Well, look, the biggest asset you have is time to the extent that you use it. And it is your enemy to the extent that you lose it. <laughs> All right. So we have one frontline couple where they're making about 100,000. She's making 60. He's making 40. And, and we sat down with them, as I say, in 90 minutes to look at what they were trying to accomplish. And first, we looked to see what there might be in the way of any pensions, hardly any. Then we looked to see what Social Security might provide. And then we noticed with Social Security how there is an 8% increase that you enjoy as a benefit every year you delay Social Security up until age 70. So they're in their mid-30s, and they decided after looking at the alternatives that they wouldn't start Social Security as, as early as they might be eligible. They would hopefully continue to work until age 70, where they have the highest benefit from Social Security. Now, by the way, Jesse, the, the way I look at it is if, if you think uh, you don't have life expectancy, uh, you know, longevity on your side, then you probably want to start taking Social Security as early as you possibly can. 
if you think you have longevity on your side or you have other money or you're going to continue to work, you might want to delay starting that Social Security because as I say, I don't know of anything else where the benefit increases by 8% per year. That's kind of a nice window and something to take advantage of by delaying. And I could start Social Security anytime after I am eligible. Okay, so it's one thing that people need to know. So in this couple's uh, situation, we found that their goal became $2.6 million. Now for the first time, see, it doesn't matter. Is it a Roth? Is it a CD? Who cares? I need (laughs) 2.6. That's what I care about because that's going to give me the equivalent of my income at the rate of about $100,000 after giving ourselves credit for our social security and a little bit of a pension. So now we see the target, as I say, for the first time ever, most people throw darts in the dark and they feel smart when they win and they feel bad when they lose. Let's see the target with their eyes wide open. Now, how are we going to get from here to there? In their case, it meant doing something they hadn't done as consistently as they knew they should be doing. And that was setting aside, in their case, 15% of their gross income, not after the end of the paycheck income, the gross income off the top. So that's 15% of 100,000, that's $15,000 a year. By the way, that's about $1,300 a month. I, I mentioned that because I was talking to a friend of my son who has this magnificent truck and I had to compliment him on how beautiful it was. And because I've known him for such a long time, I had to ask him how much the damn truck costs And I had to keep from taking the water that I had just swallowed and keep from uh, blowing up at him because he told me it was over a hundred grand for a truck. Wow. That that, that, that grosses me out. So listen, John, hold, hold your thought on the tip of your tongue. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have John talk a little bit more about this truck. Sounds like a Rolls Royce. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Would you like to host your own radio show? Jesse Jameson is an executive producer with the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the leader in live and on-demand Internet talk radio. Jesse serves as executive producer to over a dozen shows on our network. If you'd like to connect with Jesse to be a guest on a show, do some advertising, or even want to talk about hosting your very own show, give him a call at 480-553-5719 or email him at jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's 480-553-5719 or email jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. When it comes to financial planning, most of us would probably rather have a root canal. Math, budgets, keeping ourselves and our loved ones secure after retirement, planning for retirement, risk, reward, and the like. How do you find the answers you need? Tune into Fiscal Fitness with John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina. They'll help you feel more secure in your investments and your future. Listen every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. There are lots of unanswered questions about life's problems, and this is especially true about spiritual life. Why can't we see God? Why is there evil in this world? Why does God let bad things happen to us and to others? Can we get divine help? Join Carl Mollison and co-host Brian Kelly for Get Wisdom. They have new answers from the Almighty you need to hear, and listening could definitely change your life. 
Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you tired of feeling disconnected and shut down? Since every choice has ripple effects, lasting happiness is a product of the choices we make each day. Tune in to Rise and Shine, not just for mornings anymore. Lorianne Rising and Uncle Mark Olmsted introduced you to authors, musicians, artists, and innovators, all actively engaged in designing a world that works for everyone. Make sure you're along for the ride, Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Thanks for tuning in to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Do you have a super short story that you'd like to have Jesse read on the show? Simply email him. You ready? It's jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. And who knows? Jesse might just read your short story on a future show. And now, back to Jesse Jameson and Friends. And we're back. John, I've never heard of a $100,000 truck. That sounds like something you'd see on Pimp My Ride or some show on MTV Cribs or, or Lifestyle of the Rich and Famous. Tell us about this truck. Because, well, don't and, go and, shopping. And, 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 and a $100,000 truck at, at, at a, at a, when you're taking out financing for it probably ends up costing $140,000. Am, am it I may right? very well. Yeah, depending on how long you finance it. But here's what I, first I was astonished that a truck could cost that much. And by the way, it was spotless. And, and my father was an upholsterer, so we had a truck, but it was never spotless because you carried furniture in the back of the truck. It was a workhorse. Now, <laughs> so many of our friends have these magnificent, gorgeous uh, automobiles, leather-lined, big screens, and they're a darn truck, and you don't use it for anything that a truck would be purchased for, except it's cool. And then I asked him, well, so what does it run to on a monthly basis? Guess what he said? $1,300 a month. And I'm going, I'll be, yeah, I'll be, I'll, I'll, yeah, mm-hmm, that's what I am. So $1,300 a month for these folks would put them in a place where they have 2.6. You're putting $1,300 a month into a depreciating asset that will never recover to its starting value, let alone appreciate. We've got to have more discussions like this and make sure that we develop better habits. What do our parents try to teach us? And what do we try to teach our kids? You make your habits and your habits make you. So pay yourself first, start with at least 50 or $100, get to the place where it's no less than 10% of your gross income monthly, annually, however you look at it. And in some cases, if, it, if too much time has elapsed, the truth is you need to run the numbers, but you might be shocked to see that what you need to save to get to where you want to be requires setting aside at the rate of about 20 to 25%. If you've, In fact, we met with one uh, young lady and, and we told her you have to save 100% of what you're earning because you let so much time elapse. You just don't want that to be the recipient of that kind of information. So as I say, use time to your advantage and the earlier you start, the happier you will be and the more likely you are to achieve the results that you want to achieve now that we know what those results need to be for you. John, you know, you kind of remind me of a book I read in my mid-20s. Are you familiar with The Millionaire Next Door? Very familiar. Yeah, and so the point, the point of the story is, is that people like your friend that have that eighty dollars to $100,000 vehicle, they're, they're looking rich, but they're really they're really ass backwards in debt in many cases, right? <laughs> yes. And and that guy next door that's lived there for 50 years that has that 30-year-old car that you know he just keeps keeps on going, 
he's he's a millionaire and, and you would never know it because he he wears the same uh, clothes that he has for the last three years, right? He always buys a used car. There's so many things that we can do if we can. John, do you agree with me that we should be teaching kids how to do this in junior high? 100%. 100%. Without question. I mean, look, here in America, we learn the mandate spin, baby spin. We all want to look like the Kardashians. Well, only the Kardashians are rolling like the Kardashians. So why should I try to look like them when I'm not rolling like them? Okay. So, John, so, so I, John let's say somebody yeah. has no idea who the Kardashians are. What you're basically saying is quit trying to compete with the Joneses because the Joneses aren't necessarily the real deal. If somebody's in, in debt to, because they want to have this facade of looking successful, that's what's really going to keep us from actually having a successful life. Do you go based on the idea that if you're willing to sacrifice in your 20s and 30s that, you know, when you do hit retirement, you can really live like a king? Well, I don't know if you live like a king, but let's put it this way. Like for this couple, $100,000 isn't living like a king. It's living like they lived when they were working. And for them, that's, that's sufficient. It's not like a king, but it's also not living at 50% less than what they were accustomed to earning, okay? And, and many people will say, well, you know, in retirement, I can get by on uh, 20 30% less. We don't find that to be the case. Every day is a Saturday. What do you do on Saturday? You buy stuff. You go to Home Depot, especially right now, okay? So we're saying the best thing to do, and by the way, this is independent of where not the house is paid for. That's separate and distinct, but most we find so many cases where people are used to spending uh, at a certain level. They just want to continue being able to spend at exactly the, the same level. They're not trying to, you know, go up the curve in terms of being able to spend more. They're trying to maintain this same lifestyle. And that's where we think is so important for people, as I say, to put this target in place. And you can change the target, right? It's like if you want to get on an airplane, you can change your departure time. You can change your arrival city. You, you have some things you can change. But once you book your flight, you know where you are, where you're going, and what it takes for you to hopefully arrive on time and safely. John, I've really been studying this over the past couple of years. The other day, I Googled how many people are successful or, or lose their money in the stock market. And it really blew me away. Like 95% of people actually lose money in the stock market. But there was a caveat to that. It's because they're trying to be day traders like these people they see on the TV. The key to, uh, the key to investing is having more of a long-term approach. Am I, am I right on that or, or am I wrong on that? No, you're yep, 100% you're right. But as I say, the, what right now you're 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 spot on. What what's happening today particularly with millennials, can't go to the track, can't go to Vegas. So I'll take my money that I'm getting from the government or what I'm not spending on what I used to spend on, uh, and I'll I'll play the chop, the stock market like I'm at the roulette wheel. And many of these people have uh, gotten into this behavior, and we call it gamification, this behavior of acting like it's a, you know, um, a video game where I put the money in and I look at it two minutes later and I made a, a gazillion percent. So every so far, the majority of people who have entered the field have gotten in at the market low. That was back in March 23rd. So that means whatever they bought, GameStock, is Tesla, doesn't matter, has gone through the roof. My point is they... One, they do not have a target. All they're doing is getting high on the appreciation, God bless you, 
But two, they have no exit strategy to keep whatever gains they have accrued intact in the event the market suddenly looks like the Titanic. It's going down for the last time, never to see the surface of the water or light again in it forever. So no, for the most part, people don't have a target and they don't have any appreciation for how they might limit their losses or where their losses would be excessive to what they might find acceptable. Uh, you know, if you're in a 10-story building with a million bucks, uh, where do you want the money to be offloaded onto a floor before the elevator goes to the basement, right? How's it go? Uh, they say the stocks take the stairs up and the elevator down. So, so many people have whatever money they have that when the elevator falls, it's going below ground floor into the basement. And, and for example, what we saw just with the S&P 500 literally a year ago, Jesse, this was February 19th to March 23rd, if I'm not mistaken, markets were off 35%. Suppose we're in the throes of something like that happening again. And by the way, I think that's a real possibility right here, right now. I do too. I, I heard something on the news today, I, you know, because obviously you're working and you, you just kind of, you got your, your ear to, you know, the, the CNN tracker or whatever. And I, right. think I, I think I heard something like Tesla lost $15 billion dollars on speculation that uh, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency was going to have some some negativity happening. Do you know anything about that, John? Well, the, the funny thing about that is this is uh, Elon, Elon Musk, uh, who, who apparently is going to make, likely make more money in investing in Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies than he will selling cars. And then some of the gains have been because I believe he placed a $1.5 billion bet on in, in Bitcoin. Uh, but then he came back a couple of days later and said, you know, it might be overpriced. So what I'm trying to say is it it looks like Elon Musk is kind of leading this market. And it may be that the, the cryptocurrencies, I mean, you know, what are they? What do they do? How, how can you use them? At least gold you can wear, right? You can admire it. Can't do that with cryptocurrencies. But it may be that the cryptocurrencies are becoming kind of like a canary in the coal mine. In other words, they may be leading what you're going to see in the stock market. Right now, you're seeing a, a modest decline so far in the last week or so. But again, a year ago, it only took five weeks to be off 35% with the overall stock market. So these things can reverse themselves viciously and quickly. And that's why I say, it's helpful to see your target and it's it's vital to recognize what kind of loss you can accept. Is it 8%? Is it 80%? You know, what can you live with? Find that out in advance and then see if you can't construct a portfolio where the portfolio might perform within your specific parameters. So then, you know, if your account's off uh, 8% when hypothetically the market, like we say a year ago, was off 35%, that's probably not too bad. That, you know that I only need a 9% gain to get back to even. But as we slip from 35% loss to 40%, guess what? Now the gain is something like 66.6% that we need to, to stop digging this hole any, any bigger uh, to fully recover, but that's that's a tall order. So a number of people are discovering, I need to limit the losses so that I can have a nice day <laughs> and I don't feel like, oh my God, you know, I, I saw these gains, now they all got erased. And in fact, I mean, look at it this way. This is, this is the NASDAQ, uh, last five years of the 90s. Uh, this was tech stocks. 
And if you put in a hundred grand around 1995, 1996, by 1999, your hundred grand was worth $400,000. That's a nice run. Four to one return in five years or so. That's one heck of a nice run. But then what happened? Hey, hold the phone here. What happened in all of 30 months? 30 months? Yes. 80% loss. Wait a minute. 80% from 400. That's correct. So that means uh, 320 from 400 leaves you with 80 thousand dollars. Oh, wait a minute. Let's do this again. We started with 100. It went to 430 months later. We have $80,000. Have a nice day. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up. We were talking a second ago about these people that get in and they're trying to game the system because they want to be, you know, they want to be the next tech le- or the next stock legend, right? The next yep. day trading uh, superstar. But people like Warren Buffett, they, they like to buy companies, uh, a stock in companies that they actually enjoy, whether it be Coca-Cola, Pepsi, AT&T, or, you know, the blue chippers or what have you. And they look at, they look at crashes differently than the average paranoid Joe. The average paranoid Joe sees his portfolio going down and he says, let me get out of this while I still can. Whereas people like Warren Buffett, they have that staying power, that patience, and they say, hey, my stock's going on sale. I'm ready to buy more. Now, obviously, well, he, obviously, I'm a little naive to it compared to you, but am I yeah. right in the regard that people that don't know better kind of, they, they almost buy when the market's high and going up. And, and like you said, they don't, they don't know exactly when to exit with their strategy. Yeah. Um, no, and they that, do not and have that, an exit strategy. And what they do have right now is going on all over the place, fear of missing out. Uh, how can I possibly get rich? And when it comes to Buffett, I mean, let's understand something. What what impresses me is that the guy dresses up in a shirt, suit, and tie every single day. And what does he do? He leaves his modest home that he's been in since, I think, 1974 or something. He has other homes that they're like extra houses. In other words, he ain't trying to keep improving the primary house. He has one that I suspect has been paid off long ago. Um, and his, his actual need is very low, but he enjoys this investing thing. But what does he do? He goes to his office with his partner and, and what do they do? Read stuff before they place a bet. And they're always looking for where can we limit our losses and where can we, I suspect, look for more gains elsewhere. But for him, it's fun. It's, it's not something he's addicted to. It's not something he needs to do. It's something that he enjoys doing. But at the end of the day, notice, I think he's driving a Cadillac today. But for the majority of the time that he's been living in the same house in, you know, Oracle of Omaha, Nebraska, he's been, he drove a truck. He drove an old truck. He did not need a new car every three months or every three years. So because you don't have to spend at that level, you can see things differently because you're taking care of your base. And now he's, I think, having fun every day, going to work to figure out where the next place is that he can catch the next wave. He bought C's chocolate candy um, for like $25 million. And it was literally creating like a hundred million a year in profits. And it's like, how do certain people get so lucky like that? <laughs> but the truth is luck is preparation and skill when, when given the opportunity, right? So yes. he, he did his homework. He and his partner, like you said, they read religiously on different things and they don't necessarily do the same mistakes that, uh, you know, no, some they're of these not trying to get rich quick. And, yeah. and I think he gets it. I think it's Bernard Baruch. The, the famous quote, at least for me, is, uh, luck is the residue of design and desire. 
the residue of design and desire. Notice what came first. <laughs> first, I have to do my homework and then I have to place my bet, but I also have to realize when I need to get out. Um, and for many of us, that's after the bottom has fallen and Humpty Dumpty is on the ground and you just can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. So let's go with your couple. They're making 100000 and they, they do the same thing I do. They go to Google and they find out that a lot of people lose their money in the stock market. And the reality is a lot of people lose their money because maybe they don't necessarily have the best uh, training or the best knowledge. And that's where you come in, John. You're willing to take that fear out by saying, hey, let me do this for you at no cost. And you're doing this because you literally know how to help people retire and hit their goals. We have about a minute and a half left. I'll, I'll give it to you to, to respond to that. <laughs> well, I mean, we, there's no charge for the planning process. We are compensated for managing the money. And one of the things we do instead of, uh, I've only been doing this since 1979, so I deserve the right to apologize for my, fear, my peers. We don't ask you, are you conservative, moderate, or aggressive? What we do ask you is, what kind of loss can you live with? And we'll go through a number of questions for you to come up with that answer, which probably you've never been asked before, so you don't have an answer for. Uh, and it'll be a number of iterations you know, that looks at the starting value and then the loss is uh, shown in dollars and percentages. So you see both sides of the equation. Most of us don't get percentages, but we do see, I put in a hundred grand down 30%, that's minus $30,000. I only have 70,000. We get that one. And now we come back with, well, let's narrow the, the ups and the downs. And then let's see if we can't put a portfolio together that might perform within your characteristics, the, the pluses and the minuses you've decided you can live with and you can change your mind. But that way, if it is the case that, like we saw again a year ago, the market's off 35% and you're hypothetically off, let's say 10 or 12 or eight or whatever it might be, but substantially less than the overall market, it gives you the ability to have a nice day because you can see that the market might be going to hell, but it's not taking my money with it. John, I find this stuff fascinating. We're going to take another break. And then when we get back, we're going to you know, ask you a couple questions on what that couple decided to do if they decided okay. to take you up on the offer. So we'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Would you like to host your own radio show? Jesse Jameson is an executive producer with the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the leader in live and on-demand internet talk radio. Jesse serves as executive producer to over a dozen shows on our network. If you'd like to connect with Jesse to be a guest on a show, do some advertising, or even want to talk about hosting your very own show, give him a call at 480-553-5719 or email him at jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's 480-553-5719 or email jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. In business, many leaders have a great vision, but find their companies are lacking adequate execution. Transformative Experts with host Chris Elias takes you behind the scenes with real-life business leaders and transformative experts who can pinpoint why. Listen to learn how company culture drives execution to optimize results. How can you afford to miss it? 
Tune in live every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you ever been interested in technology or the application? Technology is always changing, and there is definitely a place for you in it. Listen for Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. Sharon and her guests teach you the skill set and present resources that help you incorporate and enhance technological know-how in your current career, as well as prepare you for future success. Listen every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. for tuning in to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Do you have a super short story that you'd like to have Jesse read on the show? Simply email him. You ready? It's jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. And who knows? Jesse might just read your short story on a future show. And now, back to Jesse Jameson and Friends. All right. So, uh, John, was I... Uh... Was I saying something that you feel as well? If, if, if you knew at maybe 16 and 17 when you first started maybe getting your first job or two, uh, if you knew then what you know now, would you have maybe started investing and looking into stuff like that even way back then? I was fortunate in that um, I was a good saver. And then I was fortunate again um, because I had godparents who were, I had two sets of godparents that were pretty well-to-do. One uh, was a pharmacist, right? And they moved to like the west side of town, which that wasn't happening for people in from my ethnic group. I, I was impressed by that. Then I had another, I mean, my parents did a great job for me, at least picking my, my godparents, another uh, couple who were my godparents. And, and these folks were building six-unit apartment buildings, okay? Uh, again, this is in the 60s and the early 70s, and that just wasn't Wait. happening. Wait a minute, John. Your parents did a little, there, there's something a little weird here. They're, <laughs> they're finding all the rich people in the neighborhood to make your, to make as godparents for you. So they're, <laughs> most I'm people happy. only have one set of godparents. You've got two and for I all have you know, two. there might be I, more. I, stereo, baby. Okay. Look over here, look over there. And, and these folks, you know, she was a realtor. And by the way, he was an insurance guy. He did life insurance sales, but she, she was really the brains. He got all the credit for being the smartest guy you'll ever meet, but she was really the brawn and the brains behind the, 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 the facade. Okay. And so she was a realtor and an African-American realtor, a woman. Are you kidding me? But, and, and she used to say, I would go visit her at church, Jesse. And I swear it, the, the, it felt like this. Hello, Aunt Bill. Are you saving any money? Uh, yes, Aunt Bill. Good. Cause you know, I'm a realtor and I'm going to find you a house, but you have to save the money to buy the house. So at 24, guess what I was doing? I bought my first triplex. John, <laughs> that is super impressive. You know who your godparents remind me of? Another, huh. another book I read called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. <laughs> you've, you've, you really set it up smart. I've never heard of another 24 year old that I've ever met that was buying a triplex or a duplex <laughs> or a quad or anything like that. That's amazing. Well, none of my friends were doing that. And by the way, thanks to the Census Bureau, I can tell you that the age at which most Americans buy their first house is 31. So, uh, you know, <laughs> that's, but that's because, the, what do they say? When the student is ready, the teacher appears. So my godmother made it very clear, this is what I do. I'm happy to help you do this. This is the part that you have to do. And when I find something for you, you have to be ready to buy it. And I mean, like we did a walkthrough in about 30 seconds. She says, what do you think? I said, how much do you need? 
<laughs> John, you said earlier that there could be another correction or, or a crash upon us. Yes. L let's say we woke up tomorrow and let's say or over the next couple of weeks, let's say the S&P and the market go down 35, 40% again. Should people actually start saving their money for that uh, event so that when it does hit that low point, they can actually start gobbling up Coca-Cola and AT&T and, and Amazon and these stocks? Excuse me. Well, you've got to figure out, are you, is this something you're going to try to do or are there systems you can employ that does this for you? So for example, 2008, market was off 37% from January through 1231. And, and many funds were off significantly more. And that's one of those things we like for people to recognize because maybe you don't want to go through that again. But let's just stop at 37%. And then let's look at the average portfolio. The message that the industry, securities industry, has been successful at delivering to every single client 100% of the time, buy and hold, hold and hope, sit and take it. So typically, your account, no matter how it was invested in 08, started 5% cash, January of 08, finished 123108, 5% cash. That's not how we do it. We want to have uh, the professionals and the systems established in advance to move out of risk assets to cash. So think of it this way. Remember the good movie of Karate Kid, Wax On, Wax Off. In 2008, you wanted to wax off, baby. You wanted to start 5% cash and maybe your portfolio automatically behind the scenes became by year in 50, 60, 7, 100% cash. That might have limited your losses to no more than 20%. But that's different than holding the shares and watching the price go down like the Titanic. Let's sell those shares. It, every day we want this question answered. Is it risk on or risk off? Are we putting fuel on this fire or water on this fire? In 08, we wanted more water. We wanted to increase the cash reserves from a very small amount, three, four, five percent, to as much as maybe 100%. And then starting around March 9th, 2009, when we see the dawning, if you will, of a magnificent upmarket from that point till just about now, that's when we want to move out of cash back into risk assets, now it's pedal to the metal. So bring that cash level down from 60, 70, 100% year in 08, starting in March or so of 09, back to 5% some point throughout the year of 09. Now we're putting the, 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 we're buying more shares at these depressed prices so we can catch the next wave. So, you know, before you can get ready to catch the next wave, you've got to decide how you're going to build up your cash so you can be prepared to take advantage of those prices and, and, and ride this wave. That's the part of the equation that most of the industry has not explained as far as I'm concerned well at all. So people are left to think, I have to try to do this manually when you don't. And we like the systems that do the work for you so that no matter how busy you are, I don't have to try to call you and convince you we should be moving out of uh, shares into cash. The systems does that work for us? So as they say, if we can limit the losses to 20% or less in 08, as opposed to 37% or more, that's progress. And if we get a 25 or 26% gain the next year after a 20% loss the previous year, that means we have more money in a year or two than those of us who uh, at the same time who took four or five years for the account to get back to even because the, uh, the, the hole was so deep, we need a lot more growth just to get back to par. 
Yeah, so let's go back to what happened earlier uh, last year around this time. Like you said, the market lost about 35%. If somebody had been maybe using your guys' expertise, you, you could have maybe made that loss a little bit closer to what, 15%? Well, each account will be different and I can't really speak to you know how each client did, but that's why I say the, the real question becomes what kind of, let's figure out what kind of loss you find to be acceptable. And then let's see if we can design a portfolio that let's say for 08 actually performed within your loss parameters. That gives you the cold, hard comfort that perhaps the next time when the grids hit the pan, as I say, it won't take my money with it because if it held up pretty well or better than average the last times, and by the way, we've had three of them. 08 was a serious one. Um, I mean, that's 37. Then we had uh, 20% loss in 2018, 35% loss just first quarter, five weeks in 2020. The, our research team, Jesse, is suggesting that notice that the, the, the loss in 2020 at 35 is lower than the loss of 20% in 2018. Do not be surprised that this year we test those lows and the next one might be in the 40 to 44% loss. And that could be just the first leg down. Be not surprised if it is the case that the market drops well in excess of 50%. So that's why it's so important, as I say, for people to recognize where do you want to take your money and get it off the elevator so the elevator can crash through the ground, through the basement. And you're safe because you already exited the elevator. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, John, let me it. ask you this. I've been hearing a ton about like Robinhood, but when I think of this Robinhood app, an app kind of sounds like an inanimate object, right? That you're just kind of <laughs> dealing with. With you, John, I feel like you have somebody that you can actually talk to and, and get some knowledge from. Uh, what are the pros and cons of maybe something like Robinhood for, for you know, maybe one of the listeners that's listening? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're inexpensive. Um, they, they serve a purpose but they don't help you see the two things that we're talking about that I'm really emphasizing, the things that I think are the most important. What's your goal? How much money you're going to need when? Is it getting high on the profits you made in the last nanosecond? Or is it being depressed because you wake up and find that uh, those profits were just turned into dust? <laughs> so if you see the, the, the big picture what it is you're trying to accomplish in 20, 30 years, you say you're 44, so let's say 21 years to age 65 or 20, 28, 29 years to age 70, whatever that might be, what, what kind of money do you want behind door number one so that you know there is a reasonable expectation then, no matter what the market does, you could find the same kind of income as you were accustomed to in 2021. That's where the rubber meets the road. So look to see what the goal is and please recognize what kind of loss you can find to be, you can live with. And then let's look to see that's people like talking with us because we help look at ideas about what it is they're trying to accomplish, different ways to accomplish the results that they're trying to achieve. But first we want to see what are those results results, right? We'll begin with the end in mind, right? We've read all those books. So again, let's just cover what kind of loss you can live with and then check to see if there is a portfolio that might have performed within those parameters. That gives you some cold, hard comfort that if it wasn't so bad the last time, it might not be so bad the next time. 
So the people that you met from the interview uh, on CNN, were you able to actually make contact with them? And when you did contact them, if you did, did they have any of the little fears that we're talking about where they didn't really necessarily want to mess with the stock market? Or what type of conversation did you have with them if you were able to connect with them? Well, I wasn't able to connect with the physician. I, well, I, I believe he received the letter. I, it took me a while to figure out which address he was actually at. And I think I got it to the right address, but I, I didn't hear anything. But by that time, we had, um, you know, the next step was to let our clients know that this is the work we're doing. And then we find that uh, many of them have children. Like I say, well, the frontline workers are typically women. They're typically millennials. They're, they're, they're often minorities. And a lot of the clients had children you know, who are like, we've got one in Novato. He, uh, he's a fireman. And the wife, for the most part, is um, is uh, more of a homebody. And well, she takes help take care of uh, like animals, uh, you know, at the veterinarian, uh, at, at the vet. But uh, they all have the same kind of question in terms of, you know, what can we do so that we feel like we can, we can retire with dignity uh, on our terms? And that, that's the kind of work that we like to do. And, and by the way, Jesse, let me say that uh, I do have a book, um, and it came out late last year. It's called Making Finance Make Sense. In fact, I think I sent you a copy. But if your readers or your listeners would like to have a copy, if they let you have their email address, I'll send them a copy uh, at no charge uh, through Amazon with the Kindle edition. And it does have uh, uh, a QR code so that people, if they are do-it-yourselfers, because some people think they want to row their own, you can use the QR codes to see how much money are you going to need to make work optional on your phone, and then how much money do each of us need in the event the other breadwinner passes away. We want you to see the target. Now we have something to rally around from the standpoint of the results we're trying to achieve. You know, in Texas, they had this big ice storm. We were talking about it at the very beginning of the show. And if you're one of these people that's just living on Social Security and you lucked out the fact that you own your house, if your pipes burst in the backyard or whatever, you're on the hook for that. And, and all of a sudden, you're living on, let's say, $1,500 a month Social Security, and maybe you even have a couple grand in the bank, right? That could be gobbled up immediately with with an everyday emergency that happens every day around the country, right? So what you're really talking about is security from the standpoint of you want to be able to absorb these emergency situations that can really bring your bank account lower, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm fond of saying, uh, you know, no one can see the future and you don't need to, you just need to be prepared for it. And let's recognize that it's typically not the bus you see. If you and I are trying to jaywalk across the street for lunch, it's typically not the bus we see that could disrupt your day. It's the one you did not see, you did not time, and you could not name. And hopefully one of us can peel the other one up from the pavement and get a picture of the license plate of that bus that just ran us over, okay? But yeah, we have to be prepared for the good, the bad, and the unforeseen, because at the end of the day, whether it's, uh, you know, the winds in Arizona or the, the winds in California or the fires or the earthquake, what do you, what do you, well, I know what I want and I know what I want for you. I want you to be able to tell your story. I want you to be on the news, not in the news. We're going to miss them. <laughs> no, I want you to say, here's what happened, but we survived. That's a lot more interesting uh, as, as compared to, well, they're gone and we're going to miss them. No, no, no. We don't want to roll like that. It's over and out. That's not fun. Let's, let's uh, figure out a way to be far from finished. John, you're so down to earth and, and, and both you and Dan, Dan is one of your partners there at, at, at where you're at. 
tell tell us where somebody could reach you with regards to your website uh, and and your company if they did want to uh, reach out to you. Sure. Well, the website's very easy. We try to keep it simple, sweetheart. That's the KISS principle, right? So our website uh, is why be poor. Those are three simple words. The, le- the word why, W-H-Y, the word be, B is in Beverly, E is in um, each, B-E, poor, P-O-O-R, whybepoor.com. Um, and there's a way to contact us. Uh, we can add you to our radio show list at Voice America. Have, happy to have you join us on Wednesdays from 12 to 1 Pacific time. What's the uh, name of it? Is, is your show called Why Be Poor on Voice America? No, that's our website. Our show is called Fiscal Fitness at uh, Voice America, Wednesday from 12 to 1 Pacific time. Uh, we have a lot of fun talking about what's going on in the news and how you can make sense out of, out of all, all this. And of course, if you would like to sit down with us, um, we're happy to do so to help folks see what you can do to turn around the game where you feel like you're winning the money game as opposed to it's kicking your, your assets. Okay. <laughs> John, let's say, let's say somebody makes 60 grand a year. I'd like to think that if you're making, you know, uh, $1,200, $1,300 a week, you have some money to, to throw towards investing or, or, or what have you. But let's say somebody only makes 25 grand a year and they're, you know, a millennial living in their parents' basement. Like they say, there, there's something for everybody, right? Like you could technically still be a savvy, smart investor, even if you're not making uh, a grand a week. Am I right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I like to say to people, the best time to put together a plan is when you don't have any money, right? Uh, because uh, you, you, you don't have, you don't really have anything to lose and you're not emotionally attached but that's also why I say start with some level that you can do with your eyes wide closed. In other words, is it 50 bucks a month? Is it 100 bucks a month? And, and let's understand if, if this market does decline, but you're making contributions in a declining market, that's kind of like getting more seashells from the seashore when the tide is out. So particularly for millennials, you, you actually want to love the market going down because if you're putting in a hundred bucks a month at $10 a share, you're buying 10 shares a month. But if that price drops to $5 instead of hyperventilating, let's notice with the same hundred bucks, you're now buying 20 shares for the same investment of a hundred bucks the very next month, let's say. And if this price ever gets back to $10 a share by virtue of your having more shares, five, 10, 15 minutes, five, 10, 15 years from now, now you have more money, but then it it helps you really kind of get your your footing, if you will, to figure out, okay, well, I have a little bit of experience. Now let's kick it up a notch to see how I can get the results that I want to achieve from the standpoint of what kind of money do I need behind door number one so that I can derive the income that I would that I would most prefer to see for the next 20, 30 years after making work optional. John, we've run out of time and it really bothers me because I love the subject of money and finances and planning because, you know, those that fail just fail to plan, right? Bingo. And, and, and here, here's one last thing in closing. We don't even have enough time for you to answer it. But when you go to YouTube and you look up all the different financial advice, some people say there's this big bubble that's getting ready to correct itself, right? Ready to come down. Other people say, oh, hogwash, just keep investing. The reality is, if you're at home and you don't know what to do, I think John uh, would be somebody to speak to on this. So again, check out John's website at ybpoor.com. 
John, thank you for being on Jesse Jameson and friends. Can we, can we have you on in the future? Absolutely. Happy to come back. Enjoyed every moment of it. Look forward to next time, Jesse. I hope everybody joins us next week for Jesse Jameson and friends. Thank you so much, John. And thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of Jesse Jameson and Friends. We hope you had as much fun as we did. Be sure to tune in again next week for another great story. Jesse Jameson and Friends is heard every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Jesse Jameson and Friends is a proud presentation of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. All rights reserved.